Rosie. Yes. Uh, bear left. What? Bear left. Right frog. What? Never mind. That's cute. Uh, Hello and welcome back to Bear Left, Right Frog, a Muppets movie podcast. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm, I'm good. You know, I was pretty, I was kind of in a bad mood, right? I wasn't into the Christmas spirit, but then I had some visitors and now I feel much better. Hmm. I have a lot of questions for you about these visitors and how disturbing they may or may not be. Well, you know, we're it was socially distanced visitors. It's fine. Oh, okay. Okay. You don't want to be within six feet of a spirit. <laughs> they just smell bad. <laughs> I'm certainly in the Christmas spirit, and I'm so excited to talk about The Muppets Christmas Carol, which is a, I would say, a certified Christmas classic. Wow. That's a big claim. That actually has nothing to do with how good the movie may or may not be, but I do think that it is, regardless of what your personal opinion, anyone's personal opinion on it, it still is a Christmas classic. (laughs) Regardless of Stephen Hackett's opinion, it's still a Christmas movie. Yeah, no, this this is fun, I'm sure, from the, the title. You can very quickly see that this is this is a Muppety version of the, in, I would say, infamous, famous, infamous Charles Dickens story. Notorious. Notorious. Everyone in the entire world has done a version of A Christmas Carol, and I'm not sure how much anyone actually likes A Christmas Carol, but we keep doing it. <laughs> Maybe we could do it with podcasters next year. Like, who would be Ebenezer Scrooge amongst our podcast friends? Who would be Tiny Tim? Lots of questions. I I don't want to speculate here. Um, okay, we can workshop later. Yes. Well, I'll buy people, call your people. Okay. We actually skip past this in the chronological time series that we're doing for most of this podcast because we wanted this to be in Christmas months. So this came out in 1992, which was before um, Muppets from Space and Treasure Island. That's right. And that that does put it as the first film following the death of Jim Henson. So uh, it's not... Moments from Space, I guess, was the first like non-remake movie type type thing. Because this and Treasure Island are kind of two sides of one coin, right? They're telling classic stories through the lens of the Muppets. Um, b- but we also see uh, Brian Henson here. He makes his uh, debut as a director on this film. Yeah. Um, and he has continued to be very involved with the Muppets and his father's legacy, but here he is kind of stepping out in front for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the film is dedicated to Jim Henson and to the performer Richard Hunt, um, who also passed away before this movie was made. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I get the sense that those early Henson years really were like a family. I mean, I know we've talked about how some of the movies were maybe not super nice places to be, but I think like the core group, I mean, by by the early 90s like they've been together a pretty long time yeah i we'll get into this a little bit more later but you sent me this michael kane interview that he did about making this movie which it's impossible not to be in a good mood after reading this interview he's so happy about it (laughs) but one of the things that he mentions is that it was one of the most like pleasant experiences he's ever had making a movie because all of the puppeteers were so nice yeah, that's cool. I really that interview really is good. But we will we will get there. We will get to Michael Caine. <laughs> oh yes, we will. Yeah, I guess we should talk a little bit about what this movie was up against when it opened in theaters. It was up against Home Alone Two, Lost in New York, which I mean, Christmas classic. Regardless of what you think about it, I think it's Christmas classic. And we have uh, Disney's own Aladdin at the same time. So we should say too that this film. Um, like, this is well before Disney 
bought out the Muppet Empire, but it was released by Walt Disney Pictures. So they were involved in this to some degree. Yes. So sort of they're starting their collaboration and deciding <laughs> to put it up against Aladdin, um, which, of course, was very, very successful. Yes. Yes, it was. But, you know, it still did pretty well. I mean, it still was a solid sort of Muppet performance considered a financial success because, you know, they didn't spend too much money making it and, you know, sort of par for the course on this stage of Muppets movies. Yeah, you get the sense that they were pretty inexpensive to to make. And, you know, I'm sure part of that is that you don't have to ha- have like a, a large number of stars, like even all the cameos in the previous movies. You know, this basically has... Michael Caine really is the only human that matters in this movie. And so it's mostly just like Muppet people doing Muppet things. And that keeps the cost down, which is which is good when you're opening up against Aladdin, because I'm sure that was a a bloodbath in the box office, although it cleared five million dollars the first weekend. So that's good. Oh, good for those Muppets. I like to clear five million dollars in a weekend. The phrase Muppets doing Muppet things should be the name of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Our name is perfect, though. And our artwork is perfect. Neither of which we came up with, but that's fine. That's true. (laughs) Well, we've been getting a lot of people sending us a very specific Muppets news story related to this, um, which is they've discovered this long lost song from this movie It's called When Love is Lost, and it's supposed to take place in one of the flashback scenes when Scrooge is um, being dumped by his girlfriend. And they decided for a couple of reasons, like it was slowing the movie down and the kids at the test screenings like weren't really resonating with it. There are no Muppets in it. It wasn't really hitting their core audience. So they're like, okay, we're going to cut it for the theatrical version and then put it back in for the VHS version. God, I love the 90s. Um, But then it didn't make it back onto that. And so it hasn't been in this movie for decades now, but apparently they have refound it and they are remastering it and are going to put it into the full remastered version on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, that's cool. That's where I watched this movie last night. And this this isn't in it. And as we get to the scene, it kind of feels like the movie's missing something when you watch it, like this little section. So I'm glad that this exists. And I think it's cool that it was found. And you can watch it. It's on YouTube, uh, you know, sort of like a very <laughs> SD version of it. But it's kind of cool. I like when this sort of stuff surfaces. Yeah. Sorry, I I misspoke. It was on the VHS, but then it disappeared again for the DVD. So now it hasn't been on there for mm. a while. What about the laser disc? Do you know about the laser disc? Mm, I really don't have any feedback on the laser disc. Man, I'll do some follow. But this means that it's not currently in the Disney Plus version that's available for streaming, but is supposed to be added back soon. Maybe even by the time this episode goes out, we're not sure. Be a nice Christmas present to all the Muppet fans out there. Yeah, here's a sad song. You're welcome. <laughs> with no with no Muppets in it. <laughs> it's a Christmas gift to all the Michael Caine fans out there. Well, should we move into the movie a little bit? Let's take it away, Bah Humbug. <laughs> uh, so we get long opening credits, and the only reason I, I point them out is that we see the Muppets, the Muppet characters who they're playing. So you see Miss Piggy as Emily, and you see Kermit as Bob Cratchit. Like I, I like that. Like even the credits are a little meta that we're seeing who the who the Muppets are playing, not anything about actual 
like what's happening. That all waits till the credits after the movie. But leading into it, it's good to know which Muppet is who. Yeah, and even if you look at the IMDb page right now, it says things like Gonzo playing Charles Dickens. And it's like, well, okay. And then you go two down and it's like who actually played Gonzo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's layers here, you know. And as and as we said, Michael Caine is the the central figure here playing Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, we alluded to this earlier. We'll have a, a link in the notes to this article, this interview on the GQ website where uh, he's asked about this. And I agree with you. I just was so happy reading this. He talks about how his um, his daughter had never seen him um, in a movie because none of his movies were like okay for small children and how his grandkids have seen it and they can't believe that you know, it's him singing in it. Uh, I think that's I think that's pretty fantastic. It, it just seems like a very wholesome, fun thing for their family. Yeah, it's so cute. He talks about how famous Kermit is and how he's much more famous than himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just yeah. a whole sweet thing. Um, I, and you know, I feel like even though Michael Caine has been in a lot of like very serious adult movies, I in my head just think of him as this like charming grandfather figure. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that he sounds like a nice guy. Yeah, he is not a charming grandfather figure in this movie, but I get the general sense uh, that he may be. Uh, There's this great part in this interview where he's talking about working with Muppets. And uh, as we see pretty soon in the movie, he uh, like the Rizzo gang minus Rizzo, so like all the other rats who were working in the cafe kitchen, the diner kitchen, are working as clerks in uh, Scrooge's office. And he says that... um, you know, every time he would look away, they would be like doing something funny. And then he'd look back, they'd be writing and behaving properly. And he said he just, he couldn't keep it together shooting some of those scenes because the Muppets were so funny to him as an actor in the movie. And I think that's how I would be. Like, I'm sure if I ever encountered Muppets, like, if, you know, I don't know how that would happen, but say that we invited a Muppet to a, a live podcast recording. I wouldn't be able to work. Like I would just fall apart laughing. And I like that. That was seems to be Michael Caine's response to you. Yeah, that was really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> but as you mentioned before, he is not so cuddly in his character in this movie because he is, of course, Ebenezer Scrooge, um, who everyone knows the story of a Christmas carol. He's a mean, grouchy, greedy man. And they prove it to us by singing an entire song about it. Um, but before that, we do have a little bit of setup, including what I think is one of my favorite laughs of the movie is one of the very first shots is you see this like dismal London scene, pretty cheap looking, honestly, but they have um, fruit going by in a carriage and then someone hops in and grabs them, but they're Muppet fruit. So they go, help, we're being stolen. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> I really laughed at that, too. It it does raise the question, and we've talked about this before, the difference between regular animals and Muppets. I feel like that goes even further between regular melons and Muppet melons. I don't think I'm prepared to address that here. There's a shot of someone selling a Christmas turkey, but it's a Muppet, and oh boy. Yeah, that's 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 not great. Uh, in this kind of opening sequence, we're introduced to Gonzo, who is playing Charles Dickens. He is the all-knowing, all-seeing narrator of the film. And we have uh, Rizzo as himself uh, playing Gonzo's friend, but sometimes he remembers Gonzo as Charles Dickens and other times he doesn't. I find that this pairing pretty funny. And I think it's a pretty effective way to like make this story 
Muppety. I mean, some of the best Muppet gags are the very meta level stuff. And so they just really lean into it in this film. And I think it really works. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I think this framework was a great decision because it also a lot of the story is pretty dismal. And so it allows it to keep lighthearted um, yes. and not sort of too scary for kids because you often have Gonzo and Rizzo popping up in between scenes to just, you know, do Muppet jokes. So that is a very good touch. Most of those laughs do come at Rizzo's expense, however. Like he is frozen into a rat icicle at some point and then falls into a fireplace and like fall. Gonzo doesn't catch him at some point as he jumps off a fence. Like there's lots of Rizzo gags in this, which is great. Also, Gonzo is doing a lot of direct reading from the original Christmas Carol. Um, And so I saw a note that this is actually, in one way, this is actually a pretty faithful adaptation of the original novella because he's reading directly from it. And so a lot of stuff actually lines up really well, which is very funny when you consider it's coming from a whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's great. And I I was trying to think of like, if it wasn't Gonzo, like who would a good Muppet be for this? And honestly, I think Gonzo is like the perfect one because you get sort of the wackiness of the, the like Gonzo's the right Muppet for the wacky meta stuff. And with this trusty sidekick who just gets repeatedly beat up. Yeah, poor Rizzo. <laughs> well, they establish that he's going to be playing Charles Dickens, our all-seeing narrator. And then we actually go into the story itself, which, of course, starts out our musical. Um, And like I mentioned before, it really is just a song about how Scrooge is extremely mean. Yeah, he he loans money at high interest rates. He rents out poorly built homes for the poor. He doesn't care about anybody. And they're they're singing it like as Scrooge is like walking around through the crowd. I mean, you don't feel bad for this character at this point because he's a jerk, but it's it's a little harsh. If he gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be him. Old Scrooge, he loves his money cause he thinks it gives him power. If he became a flavor, you can bet he would be sour. You ever get so mean that the entirety of London bullies you? Yeah, in song. It's not, you've made a mistake in your life. And the last line of the song is Scrooge is getting worse. Yeah. They do not have faith in this guy. They don't. Uh, they they definitely don't. So uh, Scrooge ends up going into his office, slams the door shut behind them. And this is where we meet Kermit, who is playing Bob Cratchit. He is the, I guess, like the head accountant. I forget what his job title is, but he he's basically kind of running the office. Scrooge is maybe number two. And we start to see the tension between these characters, right? We see that Cratchit is a, he's a decent frog and Scrooge is not a decent man. Yeah, there's a lot of yelling back and forth and all the routes are there is the little bookkeeper. Um, it's it's very unclear what their actual jobs are, but I guess Scrooge needs a lot of little rat employees too, to, to throw everyone out of their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point he hands Kermit or Bob Cratchit, um, this giant stack of eviction notices for tomorrow. And Kermit says, tomorrow's Christmas. He's like, yep. <laughs> yeah. He, he says December, you know, he, he goes on this tirade about people spend money on frivolous things at Christmas and they don't pay their mortgages, which makes December harvest time for money lenders, which is pretty cold. 
Yeah, I mean, he really is just a horrible person being horrible to everyone around him. It's almost like it's you're being set up for a character development arc. Whoa. There's some cute rat humor here where that they want to turn up the heat a little bit by putting more coal in the fire. And then Scrooge snaps back at them. So immediately all of the rats are dressed in like tropical island gear, pretending mm-hmm. that it's actually warm as if they're on an island. Yeah, it's really great because they're dressed like that in just a second. It's it's really funny. And then we have Fred arrive, um, who is Scrooge's nephew and the only person in this movie who's not scared of him. Yeah, he stands up to him and he debates him and he and we find out later that he he doesn't necessarily like him or at the very least he he's willing to poke fun of him. But yeah, he's he's definitely not afraid to go toe to toe with his uncle and he you know, he says, "Look, uncle, like it's Christmas. Um you should come to our home. You know, my wife and I are hosting a Christmas lunch. You should come. He turns it down, of course. Scrooge then asks, you know, why did you get married? Love is the only thing sillier than Christmas. So clearly Scrooge has more than one issue going on here. Again, foreshadowing of what is to come. But it's it's kind of surprising to see this, like, younger guy come in and, and not cower in front of Scrooge. I like Fred in this scene a lot as well because the next thing that come is um some solicitors come in to try to get some donations for charity and it's Honeydew and Beaker. <laughs> um, and on one level, I think that Fred is just kind of getting them set up to get bullied because he se- tells them to come in and that Scrooge will donate, um, which of course is not going to end well, but he also like donates his own money and is doing his best to pressure Scrooge into actually giving money, even though he ultimately doesn't in this day. Yeah. I I thought about that too. Is like, what, what is his motivation of bringing them in? Is it to try to win, win Scrooge over? Is it knowing that Scrooge is going to lose it at these two guys? You know, maybe a little bit of both. Like maybe he's playing a little bit of a game, but I don't know. Because he obviously knows that Scrooge doesn't want to donate money, but I think he, because like he is his family and he is one of probably the only people, maybe the only person in the world at this point who actually cares about Scrooge even a little bit. Like, I think that he is hoping that like, maybe he will give a little bit here and I'll be able to push him in in a slightly nicer direction, which of course does not work. It does not work at all because... This is when we get Scrooge's view of the poor, saying that it wouldn't be so bad if some of them just died because we have a population problem. Oh, yeah, just a just a vile thing to say. Yeah, yeah, he's a terrible person. I understand, like that is the point of the story, but they really just go out of their way to make him completely irredeemable at the beginning. Oh yeah. Like, you know how in a lot of stories, like, the bad guy is at least nice to his dog or something, so you can see see he's still a person? Like, Scrooge literally does not have any redeemable qualities for the entire setup of this movie. Yeah, he like he's, like, tearing a wreath off the window and then throws it at a little Muppet bunny that comes by. <laughs> that poor like, bunny. That's, that's not necessary. Well, at the end of this dismal day... Um, Cratchit, come, with all the rats, comes up to Scrooge and asks about the next day, Christmas. And Scrooge says, okay, you can come in at 8.30 instead of 8. And they say, well, you know, it's actually 
customary to get the whole day off and Scrooge just like the whole day and then the rats start like chittering among themselves every single time that Scrooge talks back to Cratchit and one of them goes it was the frog's idea yeah. <laughs> which I also thought was very funny throws them under the bus real quick Scrooge obviously isn't gonna celebrate Christmas himself in fact he sees his his employees wanting to take the whole day off as them effectively like taking money out of his pocket right like why should he pay you know why should he lose money that he would be making because they're not there completely self-centered and, and unable to I think really connect with anybody maybe over anything but especially over Christmas stuff he's just he, the man's an island you know it's, it's no good Shout out to labor rights of the 21st century. (laughs) (laughs) But he does eventually give in. And well, he says they can have the day off, even though he clearly is really unhappy about it. But um, he at least reluctantly allows them to do that. And then he leaves uh, for Cratchit and the Rats to clean up. Which is another musical moment, right? They They get to sing and they're putting books up and they're sweeping. You know, they... They still have, the way I view this is they still have joy and happiness despite working for this terrible man apparently every day of the year except for Christmas. There's also a shot where Kermit blows out a candle, which is quite impressive for a puppet. The promise of excitement is one the night will keep. After all, there's only one more sleep till Christmas. But yeah, it, it, it's sweet. Uh, they come across some penguins doing their, I guess, annual ice party and get to to play around on some ice with some penguins for a while yeah they're like skating in the street i guess so did they like hose down the street to turn into an ice skating rink that's not a very nice thing to do for your neighbors i know they just cause all these accidents (laughs) yeah it's christmas yeah and this is one place where we see gonzo and rizzo interacting with the story where they're they go ice skating and I'm not clear that they can be seen. Okay, this is my theory. I'm not clear that they can be seen by the people in the story. Uh, I don't think they can be. Hmm. And so, like, they ice skate and, like, nobody says anything. There's later scenes where, like, they're clearly in the room, but no one acknowledges them. So I'm choosing to believe that the people in the story that Gonzo is telling as Charles Dickens, like, Gonzo and Rizzo live in in a sphere of existence outside of that. Yeah, I agree with that, especially in some scenes where they're around Scrooge and he doesn't react to them, which would be quite unusual if he could actually see them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Well, here's where we start getting into some creepy ghost stuff. Uh, Scrooge comes back to his house, uh, which is where his now dead business partners used to live, which I was like partners but we'll get to that in a second Mm. um (laughs) and the door knock or like the knocker on his door transforms into the face of a marley which i had not seen this movie in a long time and that sort of comes out of nowhere and was a little surprising to me and to the kindergartner sitting next to me but uh (laughs) it's by far there's far more creepy things to to come um, yeah, I also had forgotten all about that. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but he, Scrooge is truly creeped out. He's kind of on edge. He thinks he sees someone behind him and attacks it, but it's just his robe hanging up. 
uh, there's a bit of a, a chill in the air. Um, and then a ghost rings the doorbell. <laughs> What's well, you gotta you gotta tell them that you're coming. You just don't want to jump out at somebody. Well, it's funny because he clear he reacts stunned because obviously no one ever visits him because he has no friends. Um, but it is funny when you think about how the ghosts just keep ringing the doorbell. But I guess they just knew that they wanted to freak him out. And then out of the darkness of his home, out pumps his um former business partners Jacob and Robert Marley, <laughs> um, who is of course, if you think about it, Bob Marley. Well, here is I want to throw in a slight interstitial because a couple years ago I worked at a theater um, that did a version of A Christmas Carol. And so I was working at this theater during the entire run of this show, which was a um, hip hop adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Wow. So that was a lot. And there was also a lot of Bob Marley jokes in that, as you might imagine. Um, to a degree that I personally did not find tasteful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so now my association with A Christmas Carol, and of course, by extension, this movie is forever tainted by me never ever going to be able to forget the lyrics to the hip hop Christmas Carol that I watched dozens of times because I worked at the theater. (laughs) I think we need like a little taste of that, what that was like. Mm, um. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so they are there to uh to warn Scrooge of uh what is coming for him if he if his life continues the way that it is. So they are like they're in chains and they have this bit about you know that we added these chains to ourselves in our life based on our greed and now we're paying we're paying for it I guess in eternal damnation, we're not really sure, but we we kind of come to find out that Scrooge was really just one of a one of the trio, right? Like they did all sorts of terrible things. Like they evicted an orphanage of children, uh, all sorts of terrible things. And uh, yeah, Scrooge, like he listens to it, but I I don't think it sinks in at first. Yeah, which is understandable because you know if ghosts suddenly popped out to me, I also perhaps would not be able to absorb their messages with complete clarity. It also is just so deeply unfair that the Marleys are just doomed to internal damnation, but they get to help Scrooge avoid the same fate. Like, who is there for the Marleys? Not that I'm trying to support the people who evicted an orphanage. I'm just saying, like, if we're going to apply this logic, we might as well apply it evenly. (laughs) I could see that. It's a strong move, though, to defend these guys. Um, They're super dead, as Gonzo keeps reminding us. I'm just saying I've seen the good place, you know, the whole thing is about how people can improve. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. So, uh yeah, so they tell him like you're you're as doomed as we are and this is your future and then they they tell him you're going to be visited by three spirits after us. So I guess a total of 5 for the evening and they're going to come and um and I guess like teach you a lesson or give you warning. And uh, the first one will be here at one o'clock when the strike, when the clock strikes one on Christmas morning, you will have a visitor. And here we have a Gonzo and Rizzo interstitial um, as they assure the children in the audience that everything is going to be fine. 
um, and have some kind of banter back and forth about jelly beans and then breaking into the yard because Gonzo's omniscient, but Rizzo isn't and he wants to see what's going on. It's like, how do they have different powers than each other? I don't know. We have Scrooge there, you know, sitting by himself in his dark house. And uh, one o'clock, the first spirit comes, the ghost of Christmas past. By far the creepiest part of this movie. It's the worst. There's a link in the show notes. You can see pictures um, and you can, there's, you can read about how they shot this. They had the, a puppet submerged in a tank of baby oil and then later water to make it like ghost-like and shimmery. But the face is super weird. Uh, looking at the photo now, like I don't, I don't like it. It's not good. It's, it's just horrifying. And I know they had special effects limitations. Some of it were very funny, but this was they should have not done this. <laughs> it's the it's and like the the voice uh, Jessica Fox does the voice, and it's also done in a really creepy way. Uh, I'm closing the tab. I don't want to see it anymore. Well. The ghost of Christmas hell takes Scrooge into his past um, and the school that he grew up in as a young boy. And you get to see that from a very young age, Scrooge has stick up his butt um, and did not want to go and play for Christmas. And Jess was determined to keep working and to make something of himself. Right. Christmas was a time to work hard without being interrupted and... To study, and we see him age as a as a student, and he doesn't really change his ways. And eventually, he is named a man of business by none other than Sam the Eagle, who is the headmaster. Mm-hmm. There's a little meta joke here when Sam says it's the American way, and then they whisper in his ear, and he goes, "It's the British way." <laughs> so that I think that's one. Of, is that the only time that one of the Muppet characters in the story breaks character. I think it might be. It might. It might be. Uh, there's also a really great uh, little sequence in here where Gonzo and Rizzo are up on a shelf watching all of this as the ghost and Scrooge are watching all this unfold. And the camera pans across, and it's all of these great like names in ancient literature. And then we see Gonzo as Dickens. And then eventually the shelf like falls off the wall and Sam the Eagle says, oh, I've been meaning to fix that. It's 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 really good. Yeah, the uh, the Muppet Shakespeare and other busts are pretty funny. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to see some of those some of those movies, too. Sorry, I can't. All I can think of is like the ghost, that terrifying ghost of Christmas past, like taking us along the ride to like all of these figures oh, in the past, stop, and stop. that was just gonna haunt me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so scary. <laughs> oh, um, so we learn that after school, Scrooge uh, had an apprenticeship in London at. Uh, Mr. Fezziwig's Rubber Chicken Factory, played by Fozzie Bear. And so the ghost uh, takes us... Like, the, the ghost can travel both time and space, we should say, right? They have this seemingly unlimited power. And uh, we're kind of set outside of this location as Fozzie is throwing a big Christmas party for the whole company and friends and family and everybody. Uh, and... This is where we get another little bit of Gonzo and Rizzo. So 
the party starts as the lamplighters are going around, lighting the lamps in ye old-timey London. And Rizzo is accidentally set on fire by Gonzo and then pushed into a bucket of icy water to be put out. And Rizzo does, like, the thing that we kind of see in Mobistic Manhattan with, like, the the rat and the coffee. And is like he, like, shivers as he goes down to the liquid. It kind of reminded me of that shot a little bit. But not as caffeinated this time. Just by some definitions, torture, unclear. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a electric mayhem is in this scene. Um, our faves always. Mm-hmm. And they're there like as period musicians um, playing kind of like Victorian music. Uh, but then Animal gets... And there's animals like concentrating really hard on just playing like a triangle, which I found funny. Um, but then he loses his patience with it and sort of breaks out in a drum set. Um, and then they, they sort of pick up the pace and are... They're still not playing like electric mayhem music, um, mm-hmm. but they are playing a, a little bit more modern, fast-paced for the party. Yeah, I'd like that. Uh, I like that Animal was the one to <laughs> to finally crack. <laughs> we we also see the Marley brothers. They're alive at this, at this point in time. Yes. And they're heckling Fozzie's speech. It's also just funny to see like the young version of Statler and Waldorf. It's really um, good. They had to make puppets for that. So that's pretty funny. They look the same. They just have dark hair instead of gray hair. Yeah. Uh, and it's not the only like young version of a Muppet we see in this movie. Uh, we'll, we will get to that, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, we see that they're jerks and true to his ways, Scroo- younger Scrooge, you know, out of school, maybe, you know, kind of first job type Scrooge comes in. Uh, he's been working on Christmas again, and he tells Fozzie, hey, look, you know, I, we need to talk about how much money you're spending on this party. Like, you know, here are the numbers. I've been putting the numbers together, and uh, Fozzie's not going to have it, right? He's, you know, he's like, well, it's Christmas. You know, this is what Christmas is for. You know, you need to you need to quit working and unwind a little bit, and, um, and it doesn't... Uh, I don't think I'm obviously obviously what Fozzie said to Scrooge as a young man didn't stick, right? Because we know how Scrooge is in the present. Um, but a little bit of a curveball here is that he meets a friend of Fozzie's, uh, a woman named Belle. And he is clearly immediately smitten with her and her in return. As what happened in the 19th century. Well, we see them talking and it kind of like fades out as the older Scrooge turns to our ghost of Christmas past and says, like, don't show me that Christmas. Don't show me, like, this thing that I'm dreading. Right. And we see we we see that he knows what's coming, right? Um, and so we see uh, it's a few years later, we assume, and the two of them are speaking, and he is unwilling to get married until basically he's made more money. And he's like, you know, I want to provide and buy a house and all these things. And, um, and she, she breaks it off. It's like, you may have loved me at one point, And now the, I guess the unsaid part of that sentence is now you love money. You, you, you have greed in your heart instead of love. And she, um, she just, she ends it. And this is where that deleted song comes in. Uh, Cause in the movie, as it, streams today it is a very short scene very short 
Yeah, they have a brief conversation, and then he says something about how he loves her, and she looks at him and says, you did once, which is brutal, and then Very. just walks away, and that's like the end of the relationship. Um, but then in I guess in the original, they had a whole song that kind of like fleshes out why she's leaving and, you know, that their love is gone and he's been, he's just in love with money now, but, which is all sort of implied in the shorter scene. But when you just watch it, you're like, I get, I get it. But also, wow, <laughs> that was cold. If Rizzo thinks so too, Rizzo is just like sobbing uncontrollably. Poor Rizzo. Poor Ebenezer. I feel, have trouble feeling bad for him, but I guess in this past version he hasn't done too many ills yet but that's the end of his past life to look at and then thank god yeah my god thank god (laughs) the ghost of christmas past is gone um and then we hit he comes back to him his present self and then it hits 2 a.m which is we get the ghost of christmas present which is a gigantic muppet of a hairy man I read a note that said that basically um, they considered having sort of traditional named Muppets as these ghosts, but then they thought that detracted from them being sort of these like spiritual spooky figures or just like mystical figures. So they'd made special Muppet characters for each one of them, um, which of course in the first one was a horrific mistake. This guy is kind of fun. Like he's just as like this giant boisterous sky with tons of food all over the room and you know very sort of traditional ghost of christmas present mm-hmm. visual yeah there's also this this funny thing where he's very forgetful so the two of them kind of go round and round in conversation sometime and like scrooge even sort of jokes with him a little bit in places which i don't know if maybe that's him like starting to warm up as a person but uh yeah, I like this ghost. I think it's. I think he's a lot of fun, um, and we see that uh, we see that this spirit's job is to show him not the mistakes that he's made or what will happen to him at the end, but what he's missing right now. And so they time travel just a few hours into the future to the Christmas morning. That you know, at this point, it's two a.m. So I guess they fast forward to lunch or dinner that day. Um, and, uh, they're out on the streets. We see the baby human Muppets at, at one point, which always creeped me out. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. I don't know. There's a great scene in Muppets Most Wanted with them, which we'll get to in, uh, several months. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, they're there and there's a new song. It feels like Christmas and we are seeing him observe joy and happiness so he's walking through the streets and he is seeing all of these little vignettes of what christmas means to people people giving gifts people caring for each other the poor being taken care of and it starts to have an influence on him i think as they're traveling through the city he gets to see people experiencing genuine happiness which he probably hasn't in decades yeah if ever i mean really seeing that childhood yeah and then he goes to literally what he's missing, the actual party that he was invited to and turned down, which is his nephew Fred's sort of house Christmas party. Um, and they're playing a game and um, and they're playing like a guessing game. And Fred leads them to guess his name, his uncle Scrooge, by describing him 
pretty negatively, including saying an unwanted creature. Mm-hmm. It's it's really harsh, and we see, you know, the invisible time travel spirit world, Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, we see him like tear up watching this, and he sees that even his nephew. I think you're right when you said this earlier that he's probably the only person who connects with him in any way that he doesn't even have his respect. And, and while I think that he, I think that his nephew, like is probably the only person that hangs around, even that is probably tenuous at best. And yeah, it's, it's hard to watch, right? It's hard to see this, uh, this change start to take place because it's so brutal. Like, I mean, this show, this movie doesn't pull any punches showing us how terrible this character is, but it also doesn't pull any punches on how other people view him at the same time. And then we kind of see a little bit of the inverse in that with our next scene, which is the Cratchits and <laughs> perhaps the best scene in the movie. Uh, so you have Bob Cratchit, Kermit, heading back to his house with Tiny Tim on his shoulder um who is tiny robin the frog um and they are singing about you know how much they love life and christmas and all that and how you know they enjoy life even though they're poor it's a foreign concept for scrooge (laughs) and they head into the house where uh, miss piggy is his wife and then they have three other children who are twin pig daughters and then a frog son (laughs) there's like a little frog son besides tiny tim and it's just like okay i guess they decided that genetically just girls are pigs and boys are frogs (laughs) yeah i had had some questions about that but i decided not to go too far into it because it was upsetting um i love the twin daughters though because they act just like miss piggy like they're over the top and they fight with each other and then they like smother their dad when he gets home with affection it's uh, it's a really nice contrast to Peter, who's the other son, the, the frog, who's like seems more quiet and reserved. Like I, I like how they pulled this off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the whole scene with all of them is very cute, and I, I like the little kid puppets, <laughs> even though it does pose some interesting questions about how Muppet genetics work. Look, when a froggy dad and a piggy mom love each other very much, so we. We quickly discover that Tiny Tim is, let's just, uh, he's got some stuff. He's got some health issues, right? He's using a crutch. He's very small. He's coughing. Uh, he is, he's not healthy. And we see the the kindness his family has for him, which is which is great. We see, um, you know, that they, they all love each other and they're going to have this really like nice, warm, friendly Christmas meal together uh, and the whole time you know <laughs> mean old boss is out the window watching all this unfold and it doesn't seem like he knew about Tiny Tim like he's really uh, he's really taken aback um, or his breath is kind of taken away by seeing this family and you know what they've been through and their care they have for their children yeah and then once they have all of their Christmas dinner laid out, Kermit actually makes a toast to Scrooge saying that like he provided this feast for him because, you know, he's his employer and pays him. And then Miss Piggy does 
not like this um, and does not have a good opinion of mm-hmm. Scrooge because he's a terrible person. But even with all of that, like Kermit or Cratchit like st- still says, you know, we, we still owe him a toast and this is Christmas and then it's a time when we, you know, love and appreciate people. And Tiny Tim says, God bless us, everyone, which is his famous line, um, which is all very sweet. And then it's it's almost kind of the inverse of what we saw on the other scene with fred's party and it's like even these people who scrooge has been basically nothing but horrible to can find it in their pure hearts to to raise a toast to him and to wish for his health yeah the the contrast is is really sharp and it again it catches our main character off guard uh and at at one point he asks you know he asks the ghost of christmas present who by the way is aging this whole time because he's mm. just the present, and so as the day wears on, he's getting older, and eventually will fade away as his hair turns white. It kind of looks more and more like Santa as the day goes on, basically. And he asks, like, does Tiny Tim live? Like, can you tell me, spirit, please tell me in your in your wisdom what happens to this family? And it's, it's I mean, it's heartbreaking. And, like, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough thing to... I'm going to get serious for a second. Like I have a son with serious health conditions. So, like maybe this hit me harder than it would most people, but like, God, that just took the wind out of my sails. Like we see this terrible human being like connect with this child who he doesn't know. I don't even think he knew he existed. And he's just so touched by his plight. Like, I don't know. I, it really meant a lot to me. Yeah. There, that comes even more in a few more minutes in this movie, but like, there's genuinely a lot of emotional depth around Tiny Tim and how seriously they treat him and his relationship with his family and his potential relationship with Scrooge, like, all through this. Mm-hmm. And and Michael Caine does such a good job in this. He, in these scenes where he's watching, he has very little dialogue, if any, but he does all this emotional work with his, with his, his eyes and his face. And I, I, just, I think, I think he was such a good choice for the part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and in the last conversation with the ghost of Christmas present, he even echoes what Scrooge said earlier about overpopulation, just throwing his words back in his face yeah. as he is suddenly like finding a human soul to care about like a sick child. Um, and then the for me, the tension was completely broken when the, he fades away in this like twinkle Christmas light special effect that looked terrible Mm -hmm. but was very funny to me because of how bad it looked yeah there's a lot of the visual stuff in this movie hasn't aged very well like it's very clearly they're on a set that was built you know at three-quarter scale and a lot of the visuals are, are are pretty pretty bad but then we get the ghost of christmas yet to come um who is also creepy, not as creepy as the Ghost of Christmas Past. No. But I just thought he kind of looked like a really scary tree. He looks like one of the ring race from Lord of the Rings. You know, like the the dudes who were looking for Frodo and they could see him when he put the ring on? That's what this looks like. Mm. That is a better visual than what I said, but I do stand... If <laughs> let me let Listeners, let me know if you also think he looks like a scary tree. <laughs> this spirit doesn't speak... He's really tall. Not a, he's not like a giant, but he towers over our main character. Uh, but he does a lot with his hands. Like he 
touches Scrooge's shoulder and he points and his hands are like in this like weird rubbery gray black glove like it's 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 creepy not definitely not as horrifying as the Christmas past but this is um this is a somber spirit and what he has to show Ebenezer is also pretty somber yeah at this point Gonzo and Rizzo say you're on your own to the audience yeah they literally run away and hide (laughs) I like that 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 really cracked me up but here we see a bunch of dismal scenes um starting with we come across a rainy london street and a bunch of pigs are cackling about someone who's just died who was a terrible person that they knew um and then there's like a horrifying spider thing um that i don't know who made that but they should be fined i don't like it um (laughs) but um He's basically doing a sale of of this dead person, who we don't know who it is. Who could oh, it be? Pers- <laughs> who could it be? Um, his possessions. Um, this this creepy spider muppet is selling them off. Uh, and then we go back to the the home of the Cratchits, and the house is quiet and dark. And um, it turns out that Tiny Tim has passed away, and uh, Piggy is there in the kitchen and she's trying to cover up crying so her daughters don't see her cry and we see Kermit come back either from burying or visiting the grave. I assumed burying because it seems very fresh and he's describing the family where he's buried. He can see the river. It's a beautiful place. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's heartbreaking. Even though this is a Muppet movie and even though like, we all know that this is not going to happen and he's going to be saved. It is an absolutely brutal scene. Like, I don't know how they managed to make it so sad when it's like puppets talking to each other, but just like they have such real grief about this. And it's just like, okay, well, you didn't have to do this in this kid's movie, but now we're all crying. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're right. And I think that, I mean, thinking about the movies we've watched so far, The emotion we see most often shown in the Muppets is like love and friendship and joy, like all those things, right? Singing as we drive across the country. But this movie does pull off rather convincingly this this other side that they could do with these Muppets of this is a genuinely emotional scene. And the fact that it's Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy and their children, like it doesn't detract from it. It's... It's really powerful. I think I think the way this was put together, I mean, seriously good. Yeah. And of course, it's horrifying to Scrooge, yes. um, who has discovered human emotion a full hour ago and now is very sad as well. Yes. It's going to get worse for him, though, in a second. <laughs> well, the ghost of Christmas yet to come takes him to the graveyard to show him who has died um who, was who everyone was talking about who could it be <laughs> this vile person that no one liked who could it possibly be and then he brushes the snow off of a gravestone for like a really long time like i get that this is for kids you need right. to do the whole thing but like the second you do the first brush and the first couple letters like he would definitely know it was him yeah he uncovered the entirety of his name <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then he fall you know of course falls to the ground wailing about you know regrets in life and Mm -hmm. how he just wants another chance and all of the typical repent sinner kind of deal 
Right. You know, he he's he is saying to the spirit, you know, these events can change as if he's trying to convince himself and the spirit at the same time. Like, I'm ready. Like, a, a life can be made right. A person can be made whole. These events may be changed. They can be changed. And, yeah, it's, I mean, I feel like at this point, like, are we talking about the movie or Charles Dickens' work? But it is, like, this is not an uncommon storyline in these types of stories, right? That someone sees a bunch of stuff, they, they you know, they promise they can change, they get to go back and they, they change, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the spirit relents because then we see uh, it's the next morning and Gonzo and Rizzo are back because the scary ghost of Christmas yet to come is gone. And you know, he wakes up and it's he realizes it's Christmas morning and he's this new man all of a sudden. Yeah, he's got a spring in his step. Um, he's nice to a bunny. I think, yeah, the same bunny the day before that he accosted with a wreath. But uh, and then he he runs outside and he's wishing Merry Christmas to everyone that he passes. Uh, and he has a plan. But first, um, he runs into the people who were soliciting him for charity the day before, and he decides to give them this huge donation that he whispers into Honeydew's non-existent ears. Um, <laughs> Talks into the side of his head. And- yeah and they're so touched that beaker takes off the scarf that he's wearing and puts it around scrooge which is a really sweet little note there and scrooge is so touched that he has given him a gift because i mean Mm. i don't know when the last time scrooge got a christmas gift was yeah Um, but it's it's so funny because you see him like the very moment he starts putting out good into the world he starts receiving good back and you can see him like oh this is what happiness feels like it also does the the neat trick of marking this new version of him where he's still dressed in all black, mm-hmm. right? It's what he had in his closet the day before. It's what he has in his closet now. But now he has this like bright red scarf as almost as a, a big sign of, I'm changed. I'm into this stuff now. It, it works for that. So he just kind of walks through the street just handing out gifts and presents and coal for people to heat their homes to the rats and everything um and then he has this like parade of people but then he he has a plan that he decides to enact so he gets all the way to the cratchit's home and knocks on the door and you know puts on his stern angry face again Mm -hmm. kermit opens the door and he's like oh you're you're not at work and kermit starts sputtering about how he was given the day off and then, bless her, Miss Piggy decides to give um, Scrooge a piece of her mind for being such a bully. Yeah, it's it's great. All the stuff that we saw her say just to themselves in the previous version of this day, she just, like, lets it fly. And Scrooge then sort of, like, gets into it and says, you know, I'm going to raise your salary. And, and it's like, wait, 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 what? Like, <laughs> uh what did you say? And and then it's revealed that, you know, he has this huge turkey. He's invited all these people. And he's like, hey, what if we just throw a big old Christmas party? And this time I will actually not do the bookkeeping on it. Right. Although it is funny. I don't know how much money Scrooge has. If he keeps spending at the rate that he spends on this day, I can't imagine it will last very long. But um, <laughs> it's good that he's being generous. Well, not with those new business practices either. You know, I mean, he's... 
He's got to make it work somehow. I'm sure that he has enough stored up to last for a little bit um, of extravagant spending before he evens out again. But yes. (laughs) But yeah, and then there's this beautiful shot of them at the the Christmas table with just like 20, 25 Muppets all gathered around with Michael Caine um, eating a giant Christmas turkey, which is hopefully not a Muppet that they have killed and eaten. Um, (laughs) That's another scene that comes up in that interview with Michael Caine saying that he just couldn't get through it because he was like, look around the table and just start laughing. I honestly can't imagine sitting at a table full of Muppets. That would just be so charming. I don't think I could get through it either. No, me neither. But then we kind of get the like, what happens next bit where, you know, we find out, of course, Tiny Tim doesn't die because he's allowed to access adequate health care because Scrooge pays for it and they say that Scrooge becomes like a second father to him. So what we're saying is if they had had universal health care, Scrooge may still be a jerk. That's exactly what I'm saying. I guess we're also supposed to presume that Scrooge doesn't die, um, I guess because he's discovered joy and like has people to care about him in his life. Um. Yeah, well, I don't know how clear it is like how far in the future we go. So maybe he was going to die like a year later or five years later. I don't know. Yeah, they don't really clarify that. I guess they don't tell us what he died of either. Maybe someone took him out because he was so mean and so we avoided that. Maybe. <laughs> That's going to be my new headcanon. I like, nope, I'm I'm all for it. Mm. And they do have a very cute song to finish out the movie about love, which actually like with the original sort of sad song about love being gone like this is about love being found and it was originally a callback. Now it just exists as itself um, because it has nothing to call back to. But even, even I thought it was a very cute song. No, it, it, it ends, you know, happy and healthy, and we get the God bless us, everyone line again. It's a nice smiling end to the movie. Social inequality still exists, but as long as everyone is paired up with one rich man, then everyone will be fine. <laughs> That's the lesson here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We did it. Yeah. Uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. We survived. Barely, but... <laughs> It's it's not a great it's not a great movie. It's not a great Muppet movie, but as far as a retelling of a story, it's it gets the job done. I would say it's one of my it's not one of my favorite Muppet movies, but it is one of my more liked retellings of a Christmas carol. Okay. Like if I I think I would put that on two different scales and it falls in different places in those scales. I think uh I think I can go with that. Well, we are finishing out our sort of run of Muppet remakes of things next month with the Muppets Wizard of Oz. That's right. We're going to put on our ruby slippers and go down the yellow brick road together. I'm pretty sure I've never seen this one, so I'm excited to watch it. I haven't either. Well, this should be very interesting then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, thanks everybody for listening today and have a very Merry Christmas. Bye, y'all.